Hello, it's Christian from the future here. I just thought I'd give you a warning. Uh, we tackle some pretty, I would say, triggering topics. Uh, we are talking about George Pell. So I just want you to be mindful uh, that I'm going to be reading an article. It's pretty deep. It's pretty graphic. Okay, I can't put this issue to bed. It's just been boiling away at me for days now and I know this isn't why you subscribe to this podcast but this I feel like this is the only platform I can just talk Facebook's a really hard one Twitter doesn't get the reach um this isn't a pl- this isn't something this isn't something for social media essentially it is but it it's not for my platforms I have to come to the terms with I have Facebook and, and Instagram uh, to share a laugh, have a laugh. Let's all have a laugh. Uh, and it can be really hard to have a laugh um, sometimes. And in particular, I'm struggling, <laughs> struggling to come to terms with George Pill being released. Yes, roll your eyes. I know we're going back here because I've just read an article uh, that I'm going to read. Uh that I found incredibly fascinating and it, 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 it really puts into perspective. Let me read the article and then I'm going to talk about what, and we'll talk about it. <clears throat> it's, it was in the Australian by a columnist called Jack, the insider. And the title is George Pell appeal. Don't accept sanitized history of clerical abuse. This is what it says. I've written on numerous occasions that I think Pell's trial would become a circus that overwhelmed everything around it and everything that had come before it. And here we are. The High Court found there existed a significant possibility that an innocent person has been convicted because the evidence did not establish guilt to the requisite standard of proof. Justice has now been done. George Pell's convictions have been quashed. It is reasonable to conclude that the failed pursuit of one man has overshadowed the ugly history of clerical child sex offending. Meanwhile, the significant role of other institution in this litany of misery remains locked in darkness. We need to understand our history will not accept a sanitised version of it. And there is no time better than now to examine the role of the Catholic Church and the Victoria Police Force, who often worked hand in glove to bury their capability culpability in the most serious of crimes. Clearly, one has been more successful with this act of deception than the other, and that needs to change. I received a letter from the son of a police officer just last week. He told the story of his father as a young uniformed police officer on foot patrol around the parliamentary grounds with another similarly youthful cop alongside him. They came across two men in a public toilet engaged in a lewd act. They detained and sought to charge the two men. One was a priest, the other was a member of parliament. The charges did not proceed. No action was taken, but the two young coppers remained at loose ends. Eyewitnesses to the sordid episode, which by then had involved multiple senior police officers and the offenders in a conspiracy to pervert the course of justice. The two young coppers were dragged into the chief commissioner's office and given two options, leave the police force immediately or seek transfer as far away from Melbourne as possible. One chose Mildura, the other Hamilton in Victoria's West, where he stayed and rose to the rank of inspector 
and this was all back in 1946. In 1956, a young police constable, Dennis Ryan, detained a priest, John Day, after Day was found drunk, semi-naked and in the company of two prostitutes in St Kilda. Day was released without charge. Ryan asked a senior officer why the police sorry, Ryan asked a senior officer why the priest was not brought to account and was told, short of murder, no priest would ever be charged in Victoria. The senior officer explained that in the unlikely event a priest was charged, a group of police officers within the force would intervene and knock the charges over. In Unholy Trinity, the book I wrote with Dennis Ryan, we detail a story where two detectives were in the process of charging a priest for child sex offences at Brunswick Police Station. It was alleged the priests had preyed upon boys at the nearby Don Bosco Youth Centre. The priest sat forlorn in the lockup, but not for long. A senior detective, Frank Rosengren, burst into the interview room and demanded the two detectives drop the investigation immediately. The charges were dropped, the priest was released, and the two detectives were told to consider themselves lucky they still had jobs. And this was in 1960. In 1962, uh, Dennis Ryan, a staunch Catholic and by then a detective constable, was approached by a more senior officer, Fred Russell. Russell asked Ryan to join a group of police whose job he described as ensuring priests did not come to grief in the courts. Ryan declined the offer. Eight years later, Russell became the head of the criminal investigation branch. Dennis Ryan attempted to prosecute an outrageous offender, John Day, in Mildura. Ryan lost his job. Senior police attendant, the the diocesan office of the Bishop of Ballarat, Ronald Mulkerns, told him of Day's offending. Sorry. Let me read that again. Dennis Ryan attempted to prosecute. Oh my gosh, sorry, this, that's just a really confusing paragraph. Dennis Ryan attempted to prosecute an outrageous offender, John Day, in Mildura. And because of this, Ryan lost his job. Senior police attendant of the diocesan office of the Bishop of Ballarat, Ronald Mulkerns, told him of Day's offending. Day was not charged. Instead, he was moved out of Mildura and placed in another parish near Warrnambool. And that was in 1972. Can you see how they're just being moved around? The police are covering for them. Uh, when a police discovers some wrongdoing, the police are shipped somewhere else as well. Complete cover-up. Three years later, in the parish of Inglewood near Bendigo, police commenced an investigation into Gerald Ridsdale. Ridsdale had been a prolific offender since he was ordained as a priest in 61. He had been shanghai around the Ballarat Diocese, from Ballarat to Apollo Bay, Mildura and Warrnambool. But this was the first time we know of that he came under scrutiny of the police. A Bendigo detective took one victim statement to Mulkerns in Ballarat in an effort to have Ridsdale transferred. So Mulkerns, if I get this right, is a senior police attendant for the diocese office of the Bishop of Ballarat. So he's a police attendant that looks after the Ballarat diocese. Right. 
Anyway, a Bendigo detective took one victim statement to Mulkerns in Ballarat in an effort to have Ridsdale transferred. Isn't it funny? A detective goes, we just want him out. Like, we know we can't charge him and he won't be taken to court. Just transfer him somewhere else. One resident of Inglewood, an ex-cop himself, described the scene in his hometown. All of a sudden, detectives came up from Bendigo. Then he, Ridsdale, was gone. Shortly afterwards, a detective travelled to Ballarat and met with Bishop Mulkerns to tell him... Oh, so he's a bishop. Mulkerns is a bishop. Christ, this is confusing. Shortly afterwards, a detective travelled to Ballarat and met with Bishop Mulkerns to tell him Ridsdale would not be charged. But they thought he was guilty and should undergo therapy. The police thought he was guilty. They weren't going to charge him and he needed to go through therapy. What the fuck is going on? Just to be clear, Ridsdale was no low-level offender. A fiddler, as victims often describe priests with wandering hands. One victim described Ridsdale as the sort of man who would rape you and then threaten to kill you if you ever told a living soul about what happened. Ridsdale, who was later described, who would later describe himself as out of control in Inglewood, would go on to offend at Edenhope, Bungaree and Mortlake, where he would be out of control again. We might think these cosy, collusive arrangements between the Victoria Police Force and Church were driven by the pressures of sectarianism within the force a force divided between Catholicism and Freemasonry, where both protected their own. There is certainly some truth to that back then. But by the mid-1980s, those pressures had started to ease, driven largely by the decline of Freemasonry. Ridsdale was sent to Mortlake by Malkerns in January 1981. The extent of his offending in that town of a thousand people is difficult to conceive, as it's said that almost every boy, God, between the ages of 8 and 14, suffered some form of sexual abuse at his hands. He was shuffled out of Mortlake in 1984 by Mulkerns when the weight of his crimes became impossible to ignore. Mulkerns sent him to Sydney, where he offended again and again. Fucking Christ! By this time, Victoria Police had taken an active interest in Ridsdale and this would lead to his first conviction in 93. You know, he, he started in 1961. His first conviction 30 years later in 93 after he pleaded guilty to 30 counts of indecent assault against nine boys between 12 and 16 in the years 1974 to 1980. But here again, there is anecdotal evidence of certain police... I don't know what that word is, inveigling themselves on the outcome, tampering with evidence, victim statements disappearing, victim statements disappearing. (laughs) Ridsdale's more serious crimes involving penetrative rape were not pursued at this time. He was sentenced to 12 months imprisonment with a non-parole period of three months. I know one of the victims who had made a statement to Vicpol detectives in 85, alleging Ridsdale had raped him in 83. The victim is now a police officer in another jurisdiction. At the time of the offence, the victim's father was ill in hospital, suffering from cancer. It was thought he would not survive. 
Ridsdale raped the teen at the man's home in Mortlake and then took the 40-minute drive to Warnable Base Hospital to administer the last rites. This just makes me sick. The victim's statement went missing and was never found. He contacted Vic Pol's Sano Task Force several years ago, but they had no knowledge of his allegations and inquiries confirmed the statement had vanished. That episode would form the basis of charges to which Ridsdale pleaded guilty almost a quarter of a century after his first conviction. Recently, I became aware of three priests in Ballarat in the 90s who had a number of things in common. They had all been expelled from seminaries for misconduct. All three were considered to be inappropriate persons to join the priesthood, but Bishop Mulkerns persisted and sponsored their training in other seminaries. They would all become child sex offenders. This is just where I want to stop and say this is Bishop Mulkerns, right, who's letting this all happen. You have to think to yourself, why is he letting this happen? And you think, well, he's probably doing the same thing. So if he lets these priests go, he could be found out. These priests could be charged. They could then confess and then they could reveal the secrets. This is this is what I mean by a lot of priests being complicit is it's just such a systematic failure let me keep going there's just so much to unpack (sighs) with a light however dim now shining on the Ballarat diocese those three priests were considered potentially embarrassing and were asked to leave the priesthood they did so they weren't Uh, chastised as far as I can tell their names feature in the annual Australian Catholic Directory where they were ordained were parishes they served uh, ordained oh yeah so they're still listed in there with all their parishes and all the work that they did in the addition of the directory the following year oh they were gone vanished like ghosts All three had been persuaded to leave the arms of the church. They had come to the attention of police, but were never charged nor subject to any police investigation. Why? They were waved through and allowed to set themselves up as ordinary citizens in communities that could have no idea what threat they posed. That was 95. By this time, there were police engaged in the earnest investigation of offending priests and other clerics. They invariably described their work at the time as largely unsupported by their senior colleagues. One detective who first brought the monstrous Christian brother Ted Dolan to justice wrote memos to senior police almost begging for the establishment of a task force. His requests were ignored. Other detectives carried out their investigations largely in private, deeply suspicious of sharing information with colleagues in the fear that their investigations would be compromised. That is the potted history. There's more, of course, in Ballarat, in Melbourne and elsewhere in Victoria. It speaks of manifest failures, willful ignorance and systematic corruption. When we move to the present and Vic Pol's Sano Task Force... Sorry, that's a mouthful. Pursuit of George Pell ending in ignominy. Hey, Google, 
What does ignominy mean? Here's the definition of ignominy. Public shame or disgrace. Oh, public shame or disgrace. Let me read that again. When the move... When we move to the present and Vic Pohl's Sano Task Force's pursuit of George Prell ending in public disgrace, the question must be asked, did Victoria Police seek to erase its dismal history by the fouled pursuit of one man, a prince of the church? Consider an alternate reality where John Day had been charged. This is the priest earlier who was terrible and sentenced to a long term of imprisonment for his crimes against children in Mildura in 1972. Or if Redstale had been brought before the courts and prosecuted in Inglewood in 74, hundreds of victims would have been spared the trauma of abuse. There's no other way of looking at it. We understand the Catholic Church's failings, the miserable felonies of business, of covering up and moving clerical pedophiles into other parishes and new groups of unsuspecting victims. What is barely known is the role of the police in facilitating those crimes. There's no shortage of guilt, more than enough to go around. Isn't that just a fascinating read? Like, I read that about an hour ago and then you not like it's really made me think that you know it wasn't just the church that set to cover these up which is what i thought i didn't realize the police force had a mate 50 percent stake in covering these up if not 60 You know, it's terrible that the crimes happened. What's even worse is the system of government paid for by us. We pay for the police. Didn't bring any of these people into question. Didn't charge them. And I think that's the most frustrating part is these things happened. We came, we reported them. They went unheard. And now you have a system, a justice system that says, oh, there's not, there's not enough evidence. Well, I'm sorry, but your system denied the evidence being reported in the first place. Testimonies disappeared. Evidence disappeared. Oh, like... This, this quashing of George Pell just... It highlights, not that it needs highlighting, the, ch- the church is, it's just such a disgusting place where this is allowed to happen. And I'm not talking about the people who are religious. I'm not talking, I don't have issues with people who attend church, who believe in God, who believe the things that they believe. I don't have any issue with that. What I have issue with is if you look at it from an outside perspective, you've got these Men who go in, you know, back in the 60s and 70s and the 80s, probably even earlier, the 50s, knowing that they'd be treated as rock stars within their community and they have all this power and that nothing would happen to them. The church, who's astronomically wealthy, would cover up for them and they could do these things. They just had such power and it's that system... The, the, the church 
fell into. You know, I'm sure churches were started with the best of intentions and then it just all went to shit. And then you had the police force who I just think it's just appalling what they did. You come to someone with, you know, oh, I was raped. Oh, my God, who raped you? The priest. Oh, never mind. Off you go. If it was someone else, jail, prison, the police would have acted. Uh, oh. And that's just where you just, you, you think to yourself, there's never going to be justice. There's never going to be justice for, for all of these people. And, and what what... It's not what religion can get away with. I'm starting to realise that. I understand the religion isn't the bad guy in this. It's the people who run religion. Like Scientology. The Scientologists aren't the bad ones. It's the people who run it. I mean, it's like anything really, isn't it? It's like any business. Boy Scouts. You know, it's like like anything, you know, um, they let things happen. <laughs> and, uh, and it's really hard because you know I talk about I don't talk often about such big issues like this like I'm usually like oh my god Tiger King um, and now like you talk about this and, and you have everyone coming at you with pitchforks I posted a video that I, I, I was reluctant to post on Facebook and it was me talking about this really briefly in sort of as fun a way as I can, where I pretend to be on the phone to Kathy. Kathy, I just don't understand why George Pell wasn't convicted. Then I sat there because I knew I'd get bombarded with, you know, comments saying that I'm, I don't understand. And George Pell was proven innocent and all this shit. And there was one guy who was pretty horrible, but I think he was just either drunk or, like, he called me a faggot on the thing like he just there, but there are people like that that exist who are such contradictions of their own faith that they're so angry that anyone would question their faith and their religion and what they believe in and it's the narrow-mindedness of people that that just frustrates me and and i understand for their perspective when you're brought up to believe in this and you put everything into it you're giving half of your income to it not half you know the church takes a percentage you know you go and you you pop your money on the plate you donate your time your effort like it's a real commitment and to have that thrown in your face you just push it away you're like you refuse to accept you're like nope didn't happen i'm over here having a great time with my church that i completely and utterly believe in and it's holding all my morals it's like when your parents like, if my parents would divorce, oh, I'd deny it. I'd be like, no, they love each other very much. Like, not that my parents would ever divorce. God, fingers crossed. <laughs> oh, there's no hope for them now. Guys, there's no point in divorcing now. You're in, your, you're in your 60s and 70s. Just stay together. No, they're fine. But I relate this to is you're – I think, and I haven't gone through parents being divorced, but from what I gather, you grow up. And you love your mum, you love your dad, and then suddenly they hate each other and they want to separate. And you're like, I've learned everything from you. This, like, you have a hard time accepting it and coming to terms with it. And so 
you know, you just pretend that everything's fine. You, you don't deal with the issue. You push it away. And, and you know, you, you need to address it to move on and, and understand that, you know, this relationship of your mother and, da- uh, and father, uh, which you grew up, which defined, you know, the role of a mother, the role of a father, a healthy relationship, everything. You go, oh, my God, the whole thing. The whole thing is fake. The whole thing was forced. How long has this been going on for? You know, and you're like, no, it was really fine right up until that last day. You know, when they signed the contract, everything was great up until right then. Um, or you know, mum goes and sleeps with someone else. Mum cheats. Dad cheats. Dad goes off with the secretary. You know, you're like, oh, my God, how could you do this? How could someone I hold in such high regard do this to us? And and you, you sort of push it away, refuse to accept it. Uh, and ultimately, a lot of people embrace it. It's the people that just pretend like the divorce isn't happening that frustrate me. And it's, it's those people who who go, no, he didn't. Like, there's no way. You know, he's a man of God. A man of God would never do that. How how you can overlook. It's the overlooking that. And it gets to a point where I, I say to people, if you're giving your money to these churches, what guarantee is it that this money isn't going into George Pell's legal fees? How do you know? You're complicit in this. The church needs to change. It's so massive and it's, 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 it's just not going to. And when you have a pope that's 7,000 years old, they just, they don't care. Their life's pretty much over. Like, and then the, well, who was the last? Benedict ended up leaving because he was like, oh, this is just too much. Pedophilia is just rampant. I'm out. And he just left. He was the first pope in the history of the world to just be like, yoink. Or the second pope to abdicate. Is it abdicating? Nah, I've had enough. Because you're supposed to do it till you die. <sighs> and the whole... Uh, <laughs> I got no words. I think we're all watching this from the sidelines with our mouths wide open, going, yet again, here we are. You know, the article I've just read, uh, 20 years time, uh, another article similar will come out and it'll say, back in 2020, the head of the Catholic Church in Australia, George Pell, the decision was overturned that he did what he did. Blah, 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 blah. You know, he'll just be another little thing, another little year, and we'll carry on. And I don't think anything's going to change until... Government's definitely not going to step in. I mean, they're part of the problem. The man running the country is, you know, he's a part of the Hillsong Church. And he's such, he's very much guided by his church and his faith, which is fine. He can absolutely be. I don't have an issue with that. Where I have an issue is he makes the odd little leniency here and there for Hillsong. He does these odd little things and we're like, you know what? The church probably shouldn't influence the man running the country. Ultimately, you know, when when uh, a prime minister or a president gets into power, they're not allowed to have any conflicting interests. 
You know, Donald Trump, although that they, they push them over into <laughs> their partner's names, you know, Malcolm Turnbull doesn't have any businesses. He's got no business interests when he's um, running the country, you know, but, you know, he gives it to his wife. Or, you know, you have a lot of uh, prime ministers are atheists. Uh, well, that's what they say, you know, like, but the, uh, and then you have, you have Scott Morrison, who's, who's, uh, what is it? Sounds with P. Pente- is it Pentecostal? Um, you know, he's, he's very, he's a very religious man. And he, he and you think, you've got to think to yourself though, like when you put on paper, all the little things he's done for his church you're like oh i'll think you might be playing favorites oh ruby cruises oh you're letting them off are you oh mainly because they're all hillsong people or oh no large gatherings will uh, will shut down large gatherings after we have this thirty thousand uh group meeting of hillsong people Like we haven't separated. Is it church and state? I don't know what that means. Church and government. Like we, they they still hand in hand. This is what frustrates me a lot, and it also frustrates me that. The justice system is you have to prove that someone did something beyond a reasonable doubt. And in these situations, you know what? It's really hard to prove someone did do it. And it's also really hard to prove someone didn't do it. So where do you sit? You sit in favour. That ultimately sits in favour of the person who does it. And so when you take a step back and go, okay, if I want to do something to a child, I've got to make sure no one sees it. Just got to make... That's literally what we have to do. Just make sure no one sees it. That's the message that we're getting sent. If no one sees it, did it happen? In the eyes of the justice system? No. Therefore, the system is favoured to the pedophile. And so you have this you have this option of okay, there's two ways this can go. And they're both, it's both pretty bad. We can favour the pedophiles and go, well, I mean, it's your word against his. There's no evidence he did it. We can't convict. Right? Or you can go, it's your words against his. It did seem like it happened. You're going to prison. Both have their own set of problems. And I don't know which to pick. It's like which which one which option do you want? Because you definitely don't want to send innocent people to to prison. Because it then does open up a, a a loophole where a child can just say whatever they want, and an innocent person can go to prison, or an adult could say, "I was you know, I was molested years ago by this by this guy." I mean, I wonder what percentage of, of false accusations there would be to real ones. You know, like, 
You just got to sit here. And, and I think that's the most frustrating part is the George Pell case. When you look at it, <laughs> this isn't like a once off thing where you're like, oh, maybe he didn't do it. Look at the institution that he works in. Look at his history. Look at what many, many people are saying about him. Look at what people have done in the past. Look at uh, patterns in the past. Police cover up in the past. Victim statements going missing. And you look at all of that and you think, hmm, that's weird. Hmm. And you look at the, the system that we've got, which is favours the accused. And we go, oh, we really want, we really want a good justice system. But it's going to be he said, she said. And in my opinion, you, you need to look in the past. And you need to look at so many other factors than, than just this case. But you can't do that. That's, it's just, you can't do, like, that's, you can't do that. And that's why it's so frustrating, because here we had finally had a win for all these people who have gone through so much. And when he was being charged, would have felt 50 times more angry than me and wanted justice to be brought upon, I guess, him. And I guess him in a reflection of the church and as much as you think well that's not how it works he shouldn't be punished for the church's dealings I look at it and go he was so complicit in the whole thing that he absolutely should be charged for the church's dealings his actions caused a lot of grief for people including suicide And when people say, yeah, but it wasn't about that. Well, (laughs) ultimately it is about that. You can say it's not about that. In this instance, it's not about that. But no one can do anything because this whole system is untouchable. And so here we finally had someone being able to touch it and be like, all right, he's going to prison for this. Let's just get, it's like the Al Capone. You know, clearly he was murdering people, dealing drugs and doing all these things. And he did some tax evasion and they just prosecuted him to the full extent of the law to get him for tax evasion. And he served like a life in prison from it. And it's like, well, if you're just going by that one, like that's a bit extreme. This is, this is, (laughs) I could talk about this for so much longer. And I know it's not funny and interesting and entertaining and this strays from, I guess, what I normally do. Is it, does it though? I've been doing this a lot. Early podcast episodes are purely my grinder hookup stories. Um, But uh, it just irks me so much. It makes me so frustrated. Anyways, thank you for listening. If you are affected by this personally, if you've been through trauma yourself, there's nothing I can do or say to help. I'm very sorry. I feel just so like I. I think the whole country just feels so helpless. 
And you just realise this. <laughs> and then everyone's like, you know, like Daniel Andrews made a tweet, which was, you know, it just really makes me sad. <sighs> he said, we see you, we hear you, we believe you. But like, I really like Daniel Andrews, but it's like, well, clearly that means a lot from someone who's the premier of Victoria just like where the how 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 is this how like i think it was it was a really wonderful thing for him to tweet but it's like i know you do but your police don't the police force back in the 50s 60s and 70s and 80s didn't and what makes us think you know you believe us now. That's the hard part. That's the part I can't get my head around. Is <sighs> these people have come forward now. They're telling their story now. And it's like we believe them. But the, the system that matters, that can inflict the punishment. On the abusers doesn't. And I know a lot of people are like, it's not that it doesn't believe them, it's that there's not enough evidence. But you have to understand there's not gonna be the evidence. There's no hidden camera footage. There were no witnesses. Ugh. This is why I have to talk about it, because it makes me so upset. You know, and I, I you know, hand on my heart, nothing has ever happened to me. Uh, this doesn't come from a, a, a relatable place. I'm not frustrated because I'm the victim in any situations at all. I just feel so empathetic towards these people who, you know, I know people who have gone through this and it's just... Anyway. Ugh. <laughs> uh. I don't know, I just want to finish now. All right. Well, hopefully the next episode's a little bit more fun. I like how this is just, this, is just, this podcast are like peppered with, uh, well, the last podcast was um, how big was the biggest dick I took? <laughs> and now back to this situation. Very serious topic. Oh, Christ. I'm hope, I hope I can get over this. It's not about me. It's just, you know, when you really want a solution, you just want an easy answer. And it's not like... If, if George Pell remained in prison, it would ease how I feel. You know, the, the only thing that would ease how I feel is if they shut the whole bloody system down. All churches cease to exist. We started a new one and we just stopped being awful people. Well, it's not that we're... It's that the problem is we're not awful people. It's the people you give... As soon as you give a man power, even a woman... Oh my God, Miranda Devine. Oh, I don't want to talk about her. As soon as you give someone power, they take it and they abuse it. It's, it's just, it's simply what happens. All the documentaries I've been watching, Tiger King. As soon as they get money, power and influence, they abuse it. Carol, did she murder her husband? Then you have Doc Antle. God, he's going around with his harem of women. Killing other tigers, allegedly. 
And then I watched another documentary called How to Fix a Drug Scandal. That's a really fascinating one. And then that, that offers, you know, how we just were talking about the police force. We, this is another inside look. It was an, it's a, an American-based scandal that happened in Massachusetts where there were two drug laboratories and their job is to test drugs to prove if that is a drug or it wasn't. And basically, their findings go to court. And so it was like you were found with cocaine. Or this, in fact, wasn't drugs. We have to let you off. Um, and so they, these these women were testing the drugs for the district attorneys. Um, one wasn't even testing them, was pretending that she tested them so she could do make a lot of tests, fulfill a quota, because everyone was giving her all this respect, because she was so good, because she did so many tests, and they didn't question her. And so she was testing uh stuff and just making it up being like yeah pretty sure it was that yeah it was and then the other one was taking the drugs testing them taking them testing drugs while high on lsd and then you had the whole thing come undone where they found out about it and they just tried to squash it and they're like oh wow we have really stuffed this one up let's just play this down and you know you had the the head of was it the head the district attorney being like no this is just an isolated incident oh it turns out they had to release three thousand people and of course you'd probably find that the majority of the tests that Sonia took it was the one that was taking the drugs they were she was probably fine but there could have been one or two that weren't so you are essentially releasing a lot of criminals out because you just again these. Things go overlooked. Questions don't get asked. Why is this woman producing five times the amount of work of any of the other employees? She's testing way more than anyone else and no one questioned her. So it's not just, you know, churches and and, and religions that need to be questioned. It's everything. We overlook so much. Because people get into these positions of power. One, they're too afraid to say anything. Lose their job. All of these things. You know, the, the lab that Sonia was working in, who was the one that was taking the drugs, was a disgusting lab. It was terribly underfunded. And that's what happens. And if no one says anything, well, people, the problem is people say things. But then it's just like, well, nah, it's going to be too hard for me to do. I've just, you know, I can't. Uh, I don't know what I'm saying. What's the time? 3.30. All right, I need to go take my daily nap.